Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm aware about the fact that I think everybody in my family and beyond, I think we're not the same. And it says an awful lot about him as a life force that we still feel that way about. And you still find yourself talking about him and not being tired of it. So we were really lucky this week to be joined by Don Morgan, who is Dermot Morgan's son. And of course, we know Dermot Morgan as the amazing Father Ted Crilly um, from Father Ted. He was a comic genius, a legend, and as how Don describes him, an immortal. He's such a part of Ireland and, and, and who we are. And it was incredible to talk to Don about his dad and about his grief and how he dealt with losing his father and how his dad is still with him to this day and how they still have a relationship, something I definitely relate to, and about uncovering the truths and the flaws and the realness about his father, something that I definitely relate to with my own parents. And yeah, I felt like it was just a a really great conversation. After losing his dad to a heart attack in February 1998, our guest this week has since described his new relationship with his father as an irresistible detective story where he keeps looking around for the essence of him. Dermot Morgan is one of Ireland's greatest ever comedians and actors, and he's most notable for his role of Craggy Island's morally questionable priest, Father Ted Crilly, in Channel 4's timeless classic, Father Ted. Don Morgan, Dermot's son, is speaking to us today about his memories of his father and what clues about his dad he has learned since his death over 20 years ago. Thank you so much for for joining us. I thought one of the the most interesting things I saw that you wrote about your dad, and I related to it so much too because I I lost both my parents and I I thought the irresistible detective (laughs) storyline was quite fitting because I certainly try to piece together who they were and who they really were. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like looking back, you know, over 20 years later at this person who you loved so much, who's still such a part of who you are, but you're still trying to figure out who he really was? Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing that struck me and looking back about he died 21 years ago now, like, that, that strikes me about him is the fact that my relationship with him didn't end when he died. You're, you're sort of left with all these pieces and you're trying to put it together. And when you look back, and it actually happened to me this morning because I was sitting in the car with with, uh, with my, my three sons and um, the Dam Busters march came on the radio and I was saying to them, the gag in heaven loved this. Now, they, they brooked none of this. They didn't care about it. Mm. But then I was trying to remember, it's like, was that even his favourite film? Was that, did he even like the music? But, you know, you start to imagine these things that might have been true, might have been real. And you sort of create a person. Certainly, I found that you create this kind of person 
um, a little bit like a golem, you know, out of the out of the, the, the clay of your memories or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And then you start talking to other people and then he goes, God, that doesn't look like him at all. Or <laughs> that that adds a different complexion to him. And not, not necessarily in a bad or a positive way, just just as in you, you get a fuller picture. Mm. And um, I mean, I remember I went through a phase a couple of years back of, of, of discussing about how flawed he was as a person. Like he was like, look, it's like the rest of us. He wasn't perfect, but <laughs> But he, but he, he certainly like if he made mistakes, like professional mistakes, so I suppose, uh, would be the most obvious ones where you realize he really wore those errors on, on his sleeves, and he, and he did them very much in public. And I remember somebody passed a comment about, you know, there's there's Don going on about all the flaws his dad had, you know, how terrible he was. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I didn't mean that at all. But like you do begin to realize that you you create an idol, and then you realize actually he's far more interesting. And as as I said in in the article that you're referencing. As a, a former colleague of mine, his mother was a physiotherapist in Black Rock and, and met my father when I was being treated as a small child. And uh, later on, we were working together. He says, you know, my mum thought your dad was the shyest person ever met. Very interesting. Because <laughs> to, to us, he was so out there. And to anybody else who might have met him, he was very out there. So he, 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 you know, you're a different person to different people, I suppose. And that subjectivity of memory was, was something that I, I, uh, I realised I had to, to be mindful of when I, when I was remembering him. And that's the thing about remembering the whole picture. I think when it comes to grief, I've definitely struggled with this a little bit. Maybe it's easier to do the idol thing, you know, in a way. But in order to keep having that relationship with them, like you were saying, there has to be an honesty in it, right? Because if they were still here, there would be an honesty in it. From everything I know of him, it feels like honesty would be a very important thing to him. It was. I mean, he he was very good at leveling with us about things. So, I mean, when... I, my Irish grandmother died. Uh, I remember they were very much like, you know, there was no hiding behind the fact that she was ill and he made a lot of effort to, to make sure that we were around when she was dying. Um, I remember when my parents separated, I would have been about 13. And I remember the pair of them were very upfront with us about what was going on. Mm. And in general, I, I, he was probably more upset when my, when my German grandmother died in 1992. He was probably more upset on the day she died than we were. Because yeah. we, were, we were just pissed that our, our fishing trip in Sandy Cove was going to go down the <laughs> toilet. And he was upset trying to ring my mother who was at work who was just trying to get through the day you know yeah. so he, he was very much he was very much out there and very much much on and be true to yourself was very much um i don't know what words were right but certainly it was it was a, a philosophy he kind of lived by he was so much more than just a comedian and so much more than a comic genius he was also very very intelligent um mm. and as you said very well read do you find in a way that because these books are still there and the things that he loved like because he was such an avid reader, do you connect at all with him if you read those things and if you kind of delve back into that? I, I do a little bit. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you an example of a book that, that my wife dug up and um, and, and very, very pointedly <laughs> presented in our living room the other day, and it was Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. And I, I mean, I've delved into it and I read bits of it when I was studying German in college. But um, she she occasionally dig it up and put it in a place so I would look at it and I'd be sort of confronted with this book and confronted with the fact that he actually was able to wade through this sort of material. To be honest, there's a lot of books. I mean, the, 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 the book that he and I would have had in common that we both love is The Canterbury Tales. And his, his copy is sitting in a, in a shed out in my parents-in-law's house in Kildare. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I'm it's like the telltale heart. I can hear the pages <laughs> composting. But but you would find I would I would genuinely find I have things at home where I would look at them and I would I would hold on to them and, and I would sort of connect in some sort of roundabout way with them. Uh, particularly books that have a lot of it. Was there yeah. was there a period of time? I know my dad um, before he died he had a copy of Jane Eyre and he inscribed it. 
um, for me and his, his handwriting had gotten very bad at that stage. So he was mm. very ill. Mm. And um, my dad died 10 years ago. I actually find it really hard to look at it. Um, even mm. now, I, I would find it quite quite difficult to... I can I can look at it on a shelf. I can't really open it without feeling quite sad. Do you? Mm. Did, was there, you know, in, in the initial stages of losing your dad, what were those days like? And was it difficult, especially with so many people, the eyes on your family, um, mm. so many people mourning him? I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. I genuinely remember very little of the first couple of days. I remember the kind of the shock of it all, right? And I remember... Um, I remember some of the, the kind of appalling commentary in the media at the time and they tried to cast my mother as being one kind of a person and Fiona with that partner being another kind of a person. And I remember when, in, in hindsight, I would still take exception to the way that, that the public nature of his death mm. was something that was out of our control, if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. Um, I remember, believe it or not, and, and maybe you can relate to this, but I find that sometimes grief blindsides you. It's like you sort of get mugged by your feelings. And I know that the bit in The Queen that really upset me in, in, in the film with Helen Mirren is when you see the footage of um, Harry and William going behind the mother's coffin and mm. how public their grief was. And mm. for, for us, well, look, Princess Diana is obviously, you know, respectfully to my dad, is, is a different kind of stratosphere of fame. But there is that sort of helplessness where when you're a child or a young person and you're, you're, your parent is the subject of the of that mm. celebration or that commemoration. Your your grief is very public. I mean, Ben, my youngest brother, was four at the time. We mm. had to go up to the, the altar with him, and that was the worst part of the whole thing, believe it or not. I um, so I, you know, looking back on it, it, it was quite difficult. So those those days and weeks around that time of the death are a bit of a blur and to be honest d didn't really serve our grief if that makes any sense of course um, not yeah so that that came about years after many years later i mean 21 years on and i'm still finding occasionally that there are things that you just live with but it, it's a little bit like the i mean i don't know if you if you've ever read um c.s lewis's book a grief observed yeah i have and a, and a friend of ours um Afrik Mackay, who's a fantastic poet she uh, she gave my brother this book her mother died about six weeks after my dad and uh, there's a line about the fact that, you know, it's like the ache you have from a toothache where after a while you're just aware of the ache. You don't remember why it's there. <laughs> yeah. um, and and that can be uh, that can be a complicating factor. Um, it it definitely is. And I think, you know, like you said, it can blindside you. There is a line in, in, um, in one of C.S. Lewis. I'm not sure which part it comes from, but that he says, I never knew grief felt so much like fear, um, yep. which I... Yeah, that's I remember being floored by um, because I suppose I expected it to be sadness or, yeah. or crying. And, and I was very, very taken aback by the fact that it was so much more than that. Yeah. And I think, um, and actually before I, I came on today, I mean, I was reminiscing about the fact that my, my, my German grandfather died about nine years ago mm. on the same day as my dad's anniversary. And mm. it was quite an uncanny thing. And I was probably as close to him as I was to my to my father. And the thing that struck me is, is that like all these emotions around around grief. And I thought because I was thirty one, thirty two, and I thought, geez, I can handle this. This is no problem. Like you know, sure he was ninety and he, he had a good innings and he had a very interesting life. And I actually thought afterwards that that all the range of emotions that you have are so different uh, and, and 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 so beyond your control sometimes. And and what's even worse is that when you have to contend with other people. Uh, 
that you know that can have an effect on the way in which you can cope with with your with your grief there's so much effort that goes into pretending and like physical and mental emotional effort into like protecting people from it Mm -hmm. i can imagine and maybe i'm wrong i would imagine you guys had to be protective of the grief because so many people were mourning him but it was your grief and it was your father and it was your family Mm -hmm. which is a very different thing than this person who was this you know icon in in ireland who meant yeah. so much and not just ireland but beyond who meant so much to so many people but it was your loss yeah i mean i i think that you you sort of have to put all those different people into different kind of boxes and i mean he was no different to a lot of other people which is the mm-hmm. fact that he had different personas he was a dad he was a brother he was a friend he was someone on the telly you know i mean a lot of time i mean i remember when i was a teacher for instance i was teaching at school in and it was a lovely class but they all had iPads and were Googling me. And then after a while, I said, are you Father Ted's son? Mm. And I was going, oh, yeah, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and I, but at this age, I'd learned, you know, don't get defensive, mm-hmm. enjoy. It, they think it's brilliant. Yeah. They think it's absolutely fantastic. But I mean, I know that the idea of, you know, who are, who are you grieving? I mean, certainly when I think about my dad, I don't, I don't grieve for the actor necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grieve to a certain extent for the loss of opportunity. And I, I grieve to a certain extent about the fact that as amazing as Father Ted is, I wish that um, he could have been remembered for, for his other work. But that's not taking away from that. It's, it's, it's obviously a fantastic show. And, and, you know, he's one of the immortals. I saw when you described that, I thought that was like so fitting, one of the immortals. I think that's just incredible. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. Um, The other thing I really wanted to ask you about, and... uh because I've been through it myself. My daughter was born after both my parents had died. I love to imagine what they would have been like with their grandchildren, and I love to think about it. And I, I, but I, at the same time, I find it very, very hard to imagine something like that because it will never be, you know? Um, 
it's hard to describe how painful that is in a way because you do see people who were given that, so children who have their grandfather and mm. um, their grandmother. What's that experience been like for you? Um, I suppose from my point of view, my eldest son is four, my, my, my two other sons are nearly three and 16 months, mm. and I do wonder what it would have been like to have him around, and I and I I do think that when they were born, it, it was it was kind of bittersweet because you're always aware of his absence, and um, he would have been I suppose very committed, and he would have been enthusiastic, and he would have been a lot of fun. I mean, I know that he, he was only forty five when he died, and I do know that he had um, a certain way of kind of complaining about you know knocking on a bit and <laughs> and, and, and hitting midlife, but. I think he would have been a far more energetic grandfather than I probably am a father at times. But be that as it may, I mean, it is something I'm aware of. I mean, my the lads all have little characteristics. We go, oh, I like him there. I mean, the other, my other son is called Dermot as well, and and he has a a certain kind of event that he can take people off, and he's got that kind of that mimic sensibility. Mm. And, and Peter is very the middle boy is very um he's mischievous. Like he's got a, a sense of humour. Like he can read people. And again, like. There's always a danger as well that you start because that person isn't there. You start over uh, um, projecting. Mm. Your, you know, uh, so I find sometimes I have to kind of be careful that I don't over project what I think is my dad and what's actually just them. Yeah, um, of course. You know, but I, I do wish he was around. I mean, I do wish he was around to take them to UCD matches. You know, in the League of Ireland in the pissing rain, and you know, we could have the crack or whatever. Else. I mean, I have very selfish reasons for wanting to have him around, um, but. Uh, I, again, sometimes, and this isn't a, a. I noticed the other day you had AD Silver Roman on, yeah. and I knew Jonathan quite well as well. And uh, it, it's a thing when people are so larger than life, is that you can be tempted to forget that they're gone. And I mean, I do find an awful lot of the time that I, I forget that he's gone. Yeah. How does it feel if he, you know, I don't, I've never really talked to anybody about this, but if you if you see them suddenly in a way that you don't expect to like on the television um or an image in a newspaper or something which obviously can just catch you completely unaware um mm. and obviously when it comes to your dad he's still such a part of us um mm. how does it feel if you're caught off guard and you and you see something or read something or watch him on television so it depends really on on what it is i suppose um I mean, I was in a pub in, in Dublin not so long ago, and um, there's all sorts of pictures of the. I mean, the father Ted, it's Father Ted iconography, really, but it's like things like the silhouette with the white hair and the dark eyebrows, and you kind of go, God, there he is still. And I know I got a message from from Rob, my 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 middle brother, uh, a couple of years back. He was in a in a pub and he was on the telly saying, "He's following me. He's laughing. He's following me." Um, I I haven't I haven't had like many days where I've I've been wrong-footed if that makes any sense mm. but I I had um I had occasion at this this year's anniversary I mean the anniversary is always going to rub the shit because everyone's going to you're in contact with everyone mm. how are you shite okay you're still, this is still shite okay right just checking <laughs> but I remember that there's a there was a, a an artist who had posted a picture of him that she had done and it was in the priestly garb and all that but she got a mannerism about him which was very much him and I really liked it. I messaged her and said, "Look, well done." That really put a smile on my face, and it did. And and oftentimes it wouldn't. It would make you aware of the loss rather than anything else. Mm. But that was nice because it's just like oh, that's really nice. That really was a that was a very pleasant um, pleasant thing to to see. Sometimes it can, it can be shite. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that you say that about the anniversary because that's like I can't even imagine in your case, but certainly in my case, so many people are in contact with you. 
and it's a strange thing just like you said it's like is it how are you doing it's still shit like i don't know what to tell you like it's gonna be shit next yeah. year too but it must be hard with those big anniversaries when so many publications are marking the anniversary and things like that it's it's bigger than that family unit yeah and i, I think that's the, the the thing that struck me i mean it was 20th anniversary was during the big snowstorm of the beast from the east mm. and um and we had a little party for him in in Dahani Nesbitt, which was his favourite pub, and um, and it was a great night, and it was wonderful, and all, and all that. But I just remember there was a novel lot from media session. I'd, I'd written a couple of articles and put them out, and, and basically my my rationale had been, and and Rob did the same thing. The, the rationale, I suppose, was is that if you don't say something, somebody else will. And it's not that it's likely to be lesser or whatever else, but if you didn't take the opportunity to say something about what you think he is. You know, somebody else might say something that's just complete nonsense, or or that 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 wouldn't hit the mark, or at least you couldn't say that you, you that you made a contribution to to try and and, and get to what his, his memory is. I think that's a really wonderful way of approaching it, because I certainly feel a bit like the keeper of the gate of my parents' memories, mm. and in a way, I I feel like I protect them. I know that's strange because they're not here, but just that I protect, kind of, you know what goes out about them or what you know and I know mm. that you obviously can't really do that but doing things like that being able to be proactive um yeah. is a very you know I don't know it sounds like a really a positive way of trying to approach something that's probably very difficult to to control I wonder and I'm sure you do like the world is a very different place than it was in 1998 mm. in many ways and globally there are a lot of things going on that mm. make for great comedy for sure. Um, mm. But are also, you know, Ireland has progressed and you talked about this a little bit in your article. We, we've progressed um, mm. in some ways <laughs> and in other ways, I don't know. Do you think that he would feel that Ireland still has a lot more work to do? I think that his frustration with Ireland was, was sort of boundless anyway. I mean, I don't think that it was the case that he would come back now and say job done great you yeah. got you got your repeal of the eight you got divorced yeah. more or less sorted out and reformed you know you do all this stuff and you know for five minutes you actually might get peace in, in, in northern ireland but yeah. the reality of it is i think that he would come back and he'd go yeah but there's still ten thousand people who are homeless you know you still have the rich hating the poor you still have the poor not finding a voice and that's what he was a socialist because it was by no means that the begrudgery, the anti-intellectualism, mm. the pig ignorance that sometimes Irish society can display. I think he would have been just as frustrated uh, by that. That what happened in Uttarad, for instance, would have driven him absolutely mad, mm. and he would have been very unforgiving of that. Um, and I suppose that's because he was an outsider himself in a lot of ways. I mean, I I, I raised up the, the irony about the fact that he was from South County Dublin, went to UCD, was started as a teacher, and actually the whole way along. He, he felt like a bit of a blow-in into this country and uh, and, ended, and ended up sort of, you know, his, his two missus were both sort of outsiders and, and he, you know, his children were outsiders in a lot of ways. And, and so you do begin to look at the country and go, no, there would have been plenty of stuff for him to get angry about. You stayed in Ireland. Um, yeah. Do you feel like an outsider in that same way that he maybe was an outsider and that, like, I feel like an outside. I'm not. I mean, I grew up in America. I live here, but I still feel like I'm from neither. I don't know where I'm, another planet or something. But you know, do you yeah. feel like I, I don't know? I feel like I'm saying the wrong word, maybe, but rebellious, an element of of that kind of you know not fitting in. Did you ever feel that as well? I didn't feel. Um, no, I. Do you know what? Actually, I. I was as a teenager, I was very contrary, um, and I, I went to a mixed school with no uniform, and it was all multi-denominational and, and lovely. 
so I wasn't rebelling against some guy dressed in black telling me what to do, but I was sort of rebelling against myself, rebelling if I thought were conventions. But I would certainly have related to his sense of being an outsider. My mother's German. I carry a German passport. Mm. I I find the, the, the casual insularity and racism that people wear in Ireland very lightly and not not and naively in a lot of ways. I don't think it's it's not it's not like say what we see at the moment in Britain, which which is quite a malicious form of xenophobia, but there's a kind of a benign sort of does that make sense? Benign xenophobia, <laughs> you know. It's, it's not that we you know we 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 hate foreigners in an active way, but we just you know we're quite insular and in, mm. in, in, in sort of very suspicious of foreigners, but but we're friendly, you know. And I, I I find that I've never felt part of Irish society. I've never I've never felt um, included in that way. I certainly felt when my my first few few jobs in my as an adult after I left college, I mean, I found. I, I didn't know where to sit in staff mm. rooms. I didn't know who, to, who really to talk to. And I didn't understand how, as well, the way in Ireland, there's always an inner circle, you know, and you don't really get that. And I, I, I would also, like a lot of people with my kind of a parentage, you know, with Irish and German, I tend to be a little bit blunter sometimes. Mm. And I've, I've learned that Irish people are very indirect. And I think from that point of view, uh, are a lot less hospitable towards people calling it and not calling it like it is in a Peter Casey kind of way to speak of that <laughs> but and, and, and I you know if you want to tell your lawyers I don't mind them. I, I, I thought some stuff he said to the president's election was despicable but I, I, I do think if something is not working right you say this is not working right and that's maybe the Teutonic part of my mind I, I don't see that the, there's room to follow that kind of like you know hit the highest standard you can as well as being whimsical and in Ireland what seems to me is that people are very whimsical but there's a there's a kind of a misery and a sadness and also trying to an evasiveness that um when you're in on the inside you don't necessarily see um a german friend of mine commented about the fact it was very hard to get to know irish people and i think my dad would have felt the same way he was very much akin to the dutch he loved the dutch because he thought they were cool mm-hmm. but he also liked the way that a lot of continentals are very much like yeah well of course it's this way yeah this, this makes sense. And Irish people aren't, I mean, literally, the, the house could be burning down, but you know, oh, that's fine. It's always, it's always been like that. Mm. Um, and I don't think he appreciated that. And that's not to say he didn't have a, a great love of Ireland and the fascination and, and affection. He loved Tipperary, I mean, where his father was from. Mm. He had a great love of there and, and he knew Ireland very well and, he, and he, he got a big kick out of it. And I've belatedly gotten that, but I would have always felt, and even now, I go to more at home in Hamburg, where my mother is from than in Dublin. I think it's interesting that you said about being, you know, in those staff rooms is because it's it's something that's funny because nepotism, especially in the Irish media, <laughs> it's famous. Um, that, that was denied in an Oireachtas committee. How dare you? <laughs> but that, that's a cruel myth put out about certain broadcasters. But you you had an in, you know what I mean? Like you had a big in, and you still you still didn't feel like part of the crew. Because I wasn't, and because he wasn't, and when he died, that all disappeared, and that's yeah. the reality of it. And from my from my point of view, is that I, I, and again, that was the contrarian in me. My dad didn't want me to work in education, so of course I worked in education. <laughs> he didn't want me to be a lawyer, and belatedly I realised actually we were both right at the time when I was a teenager. I should have just become a lawyer like I said I would, which I did in the end. Mm. But I, I know that it didn't it didn't serve me. People make assumptions about you, as it is. Um, People think that you think you're all that and you only realize that and, and, and you have to develop a certain kind of emotional intelligence to, in order to be able to, to navigate that. When I was 21, 22, I didn't have a clue what that was and what that meant. And certainly, I mean, nepotism and, and, and those sorts of things. And I think there's I think there's survival instincts. And I, I do think they come from the from the famine or whatever 
yeah. historical period has, has uh, made us the way we are. Um, but I don't think we've ever had a, a time since where, where people don't try and look after their own. And I get that. But at the same time, I'm far more uh, interested in people getting things in America. And certainly what he got, he got in America because he, he wasn't he wasn't of, of good stock in that sense. Like he, his parents were nice, you know, civil servant and a housewife. It was all very nice and very suburban. But in the 60s and 70s, I mean, there would have been other sort of established families. You know, they weren't, he wasn't from a Gaelgore family where they were uh, somehow part of some kind of the cultural fabric mm. of, the, of, the, of the establishment, if that makes sense. Yeah, or, of course. You know, some kind of political dynasty or whatever else. But then again, like you know, dynasties rise and dynasties, dynasties fall. I mean, look, look at the Habsburgs. <laughs> you know, the, cur- the current incumbent of the House of Habsburg is a game show host or something like that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. I want to so, ask you one last question before sure. we go. You just mentioned emotional intelligence, something I'm yeah. very passionate about since the day that the CEO of the company that my dad was working for wrote a letter to me and my sister after my dad died, um, praising mm. my father's emotional intelligence after he had mm. died. And it was the first time that I had honestly ever thought of it. Um, mm. And I thought, oh, yes, he did have that. And it became very clear to me that he had it. Mm. And for me, I've always had a certain element of that to me as well, but also that it grew with grief because mm. I understood the world in a different way than I had previously. Did you feel that grief expanded who you were in that way? Well, it definitely changed me. And I think that I went through sort of periods, particularly in my 20s, I went through a couple of years where I was very grown up. And then I spent a couple of years where I was a complete bowsy mm. <laughs> and, and having way too much fun. And I think that that was all sort of informed by grief and trying to figure out where it fit in in the world as a result. Because like when, when a parent dies when you're young, a certainty disappears that shouldn't have disappeared. It's wrong. Um, and there's a wrongness about it. So my feeling is that it definitely changed me. Um, I probably feel a lot older than my 40-something years, 40, maybe 41 years. And, uh, and I'm aware about the fact that I think everybody in, in, in my family and beyond, I think we're not the same. I mean, his, his best friends are still his best friends. And it's you know, and they miss him just as terribly as we miss him. Um, and it says an awful lot about about him as a life force that we still feel that way about him. And you still find yourself talking about him and not being tired of it. And I went recently on holidays in, in August with my wife and my kids, and we went um, on a trip back from Kerry. We, we said we we could go home to Carlo, or we could go <laughs> we could go down to to Barley Cove in West Cork. And we used to take, when I was a very small child, when I was at Dermot Dermot Junior's age. Um, we used to stay in Goline and we used to go down to Barley Cove and there was a lovely beach there and you get lovely fish and chips and croquet and so that's what we did and I just it was a little bit like walking with ghosts mm. and I, I felt probably as close to him that day as I felt with any other day since he died and, um, and it was a very pleasant warm feeling and it was like the, the scene in, in the Shawshank Redemption where they're all sitting on the roof drinking beer like you know you couldn't have created a more perfect day mm. um, and there it was with my guys and my wife and he could have come out of a full of them to the pint. I mean, that's literally how uncanny it was. Thank you so much for sharing that and for joining us. No problem. It was a real pleasure having you uh, My on pleasure. the podcast. Thanks, Thanks so much. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.